Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oil. Oil that runs smart. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, this is AOA, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Now, here's your host, Mike Pearson. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks for tuning in to AOA. Today, we've got a busy show coming for the Wednesday. We're going to talk first with Darren Newsom, senior analyst over at Bar Chart, about what's moving in these grain markets. And then it said that, too, we're going to turn to energy. Terry Viswana from Cobank will be joining us. She's their energy economist, and she's been watching this natural gas market for the past year. She's got some thoughts on where it could go from here. And then in segment three, Lance Zimmerman, senior vice president of Animal Protein over at Robo Research, will be joining us, looking at what's happening here in this cattle and hog markets. Then we're going to close the show with John Sandbach, and he's the executive director of the NSA, not the spies, the National Sunflower Association, with Russia potentially backing out of this grain corridor the market's been focused on wheat what would it do for sunflowers john will join us at the end of the show for an update before we get into all of that however let's turn our attention to what's developing here in the grain markets joining us now is darren newsom senior analyst at bar chart darren thanks for joining us today thanks for having me on again today mike Darren, I want to start, we'll get around to the futures markets in just a little bit, but this time of year, I want to start with a look at the cash market. Mm -hmm. We've seen hot basis in corn, particularly in the southwestern plains. As we get closer to the summertime, what's basis doing uh, across the country? We're actually seeing it start to weaken. And after you and I talked about this, you know, I pulled up the, the bar chart uh, basis map and what we're actually seeing, it's a very difficult time because right now you've got a lot, you've got merchandisers mostly switched over to the July futures contract. Some might still be be off the May. I, I have a hard time believing they are. And that could be skewing the official you know, readings as far as what we're seeing on these maps and so on. But bottom line is we have seen basis weaken a little bit. The I don't know if it's I don't know if we want to call it panic selling in the cash market or what, but as the as the market's been moving down, uh, it's kind of been feeding on itself as it's been forcing some bushels to come to town. Uh, so we're seeing, you know, my available stocks to use calculations based on the cash index at the end of the month will be higher this month. In other words, we're going to have more available stocks in relation to demand at the end of this month than we have probably for the last number of months, only because some of those uh, bushels that were being held from last year, if available, are still are starting to be sold. So we have to keep that in mind. And it is, you know, it is a reflection on, you know, basis has been weakening uh, and everyone seems to be getting set, you know, for the last push here in spring and heading into summer to see if they've got enough supplies on hand. Well, speaking of supplies on hand, Darren, we saw earlier this week a big corn cancellation come from China. How do their supplies look in country? And could we see more corn cancellations here as we get into summer? That is a concern. Uh, you know, we don't have a lot of sales on the books. We also don't have a lot of available supplies. We just mentioned that. But could we see more cancellations? Yeah, it, it, it's always a possibility. I don't see it happening much in soybeans. I think at the last uh, supply, excuse me, the last uh, weekly export sales and shipments update, there was only something like 16 million bushels. Uh, China only had 16 million bushels on the books of soybeans. So I'm not really overly concerned about that. But we may not be making any sales either in corn. I think that is a concern. It's going to be a concern over the coming weeks. Uh, you know, if, you know, we will certainly be able to see something brewing in the market uh, if these spreads start to collapse. But even then, you know, at this time of year, we don't really have any spreads. We can't rely on the May, July anymore, and certainly not the July SEP, given SEP is a hybrid new crop, old crop contract. So we're going to be flying a little blind, and that certainly makes it, you know, even more possible that, uh, that we could see some cancellations without getting much notice. Okay, could see some volatility, Darren. And another big topic of the ag market's focus this morning is rain in western Kansas. The Oklahoma-Texas panhandles, first time in quite some time. They've had some big rain totals down there. Wheat market down a little bit. What do you think? Any major long-term impact here from this weather event? It's been interesting to watch the, the Kansas City wheat market just get beaten up uh, as these forecasts started to form uh, last week. And now we're actually seeing rain. And this time there actually is rain hitting the ground. But the debate is now, is it really going to help, particularly in the western half of the state, uh, western two-thirds of the state, where the wheat's basically dead? I mean, producers are already talking about, you know, insurance companies have been out. They've, been, they've zeroed it out. They're going to abandon the acres, uh, plant it to something else. So, you know, to me, it's not really going to help 
the uh, the hardwood winter crop all that much across western Kansas and the in the Oklahoma and Texas panhandles. So I think at some point that realization is going to hit the market as well. Will it bring buyers back? I don't know. Uh, it, it certainly could uh, because fundamentally the markets are still bullish. The the hardwood winter market's still bullish. Just nobody's interested in buying at this point. Well, Darren, you are a native son of Kansas. And of course, that drought in the western half of the state has been devastating for, gosh, three years almost off and on. If this rain, if this if today's rain is indicative of a change in weather pattern, mm -hmm. that wheat, a lot of it is zeroed out. Where does that acreage go in Kansas if the moisture stays there? Is it all corn? For the most part, yes. That's what I'm hearing right now is that it's going to go to dry land corn uh, because that's a corn deficit area. You know, you talked about basis. That's where, you know, basis was just screaming hot here uh, over the fall, winter and, and early parts of spring. I mean, that area just couldn't find enough corn. And so we know it's corn deficit. And so if they get the chance, if this is an indication that possibly the weather patterns are changing and that area is going to get some more rain over the next year or so, then I do think we're going to see more corn acres going in. It's going to be a bit of a gamble because, you know, the spigot could shut off any time and, you know, this might be a one-off and that's all we see. Uh, and then, you know, we'll have to cross that bridge when we get there. But right now what I'm hearing, more corn acres are possible. More corn acres coming in the ground there. Darren, looking down to Brazil, Argentina, South America, we continue to see the Argentinian peso suffer. Their export game, is it coming up to snuff either on products or on beans? They don't have a lot to export. You know, they, they went through another year of, of drought reduced production and the peso is always horrible. I mean, that's just part of the world game. And basically soybeans and soybean meal is Argentina's currency. So, you know, there's still demand out there. Uh, so I, they may not be shipping as much as they normally do. They'll ship what they can. Uh, and then, you know, basically kind of like the Cubs and the Royals just have to wait till next year. That's the truth, Darren. Before we let you go, we have not spent much time talking about the soybean market. I want to throw that first question right to you. Soybean basis. What are you seeing on this old crop here as we get into summer? Soybean basis is actually weakening a bit here over the last couple of weeks. And we, we have to keep a close eye on this. Number one, this is the time of year that we, we normally see it start to fall off a bit. Uh, our exports are being replaced by those out of South America. But I've also been hearing some rumblings. And it's nothing new and it's nothing extraordinary that the U.S. could be importing some soybeans from Brazil. Now, again, this isn't extraordinary. And it happens when the U.S. runs tight. And that's certainly the situation we've been in. So does this also factor into some of the weakness we've seen? Possibly. But to me, biggest concern right now, more on the, on the loss of demand rather than importing soybeans. Good points, Darren. Good points. Chinese demand. Have they switched soybean purchases fully to China? Do we expect by now? Or excuse me, fully to Brazil. Yeah, it certainly looks that way. You know, last night we saw uh, we saw the uh, July contract post like a 10, 12 cent rally within the first two hours. And so that would have been the prime time for China to be buying. There were no announcements Wednesday morning. Now, maybe, you know, down down the road another week, we'll see these uh, show up in the weekly export sales and shipment numbers. But it just hasn't been the case uh, over the last number of weeks, last couple months. So more than likely, it was just some other activity. And China just continues to buy from Brazil. All right, folks, lots to watch in these global grain markets as this year rolls forward. We've been talking with Darren Newsom, Senior Analyst at Bar Chart. Darren, thanks for joining us today. Thanks again for having me on, Mike. And folks, stay with us. Terry Viswanath, Energy Economist at CoBank, will join us next with a look at natural gas. Stay here for more AOA. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oil. Oil that runs smart. Tune in the first Wednesday of every month to listen to the monthly grind here on AOA. It's brought to you by our friends at the National Corn Growers Association. And each month, we're going to dig into one specific aspect of corn demand. What happens to this grain after it leaves your operations and enters the global supply chain? That's what we're going to talk about each month on the monthly grind. Again, that's the first Wednesday of every month. And you can also find us wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. It's a show you don't want to miss. In today's troubled world, our USA Armed Forces stand ready to protect you, your family, and our American way of life. When veterans return to civilian life, they deserve your recognition and support. You can help put vets to work by donating your car, truck, or van to Patriotic Hearts. Your donation will directly support programs to help vets find jobs 
or even start their own business. Donate today for fast, free pickup of your vehicle, running or not. Operators are standing by to answer questions about making a tax-deductible vehicle donation. Find out how you can make a difference in the life of a United States veteran. Call 800-209-6416 for 24-hour response. Call 800-209-6416. 800-209-6416. That's 800-209-6416. Get on board. The water is open. It's time to go boating and fishing and leave stress in our wake. Feel the wind as we ride and a fish on the line. Reel in our first catch and feel the sun at our backs. It's get out on the water season. It's time to get on board. Find out where to get on board near you. Visit Take Me Fishing and Discover Boating to learn more. And please recreate responsibly. Get on board. What do Mick Jagger, Barbara Walters, and Star Jones all have in common? They've all suffered from something called heart valve disease. Heart valve disease affects 11 million Americans, and if left untreated, can lead to death. Unfortunately, less than one in four Americans have much knowledge of this disease that kills more than 25,000 people every year. The good news is that if heart valve disease is treated, patients can recover and live long, happy, and productive lives. But in order to treat heart valve disease, you need to know if you have it. If you or your loved ones are over the age of 65, have been treated with radiation to the chest, have been diagnosed with a heart murmur, or have a history of heart disease, it's time to listen to your heart. Ask your doctor today about screening for heart valve disease. A message brought to you by Heart Valve Voice U.S. For more information about the symptoms and treatment for valve disease, go to heartvalvevoice-us.org. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Premium Diesel. Fueled by innovation, powered to perform. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, here to AOA. We're looking forward to having a conversation with Terry Viswana, energy economist at CoBank, here in just a little bit. We're working to get that connected. In the meantime, we've got some additional news developing in the world of animal agriculture. I shared earlier this week some positive information in the battle against highly pathogenic avian influenza. We heard that Indiana, just on Monday of this week, was declared HPAI-free due to the reduction in cases in that state. Iowa, similar story, not HPAI-free, but it has been a while since we have seen an outbreak in that state. That had uh, poultry industry officials optimistic about the direction that the battle against HPAI was going, but just recently, we had some more bad news. This is news from up in the Dakotas. Two uh, turkey farms in the Midwest are the most recent to have been hit by HPAI, and they have seen some culling. There was a commercial turkey operation in Beetle County in South Dakota, forced to cull 75, over 75,000 birds, while another 58,000 turkeys were impacted across the border, looking north into North Dakota's Dickey County, uh, had to cull just shy of 60,000 birds there. Now, it's worth noting that this is the first confirmed outbreak in the state of South Dakota so far this year, and therefore it is, of course, the largest uh, so far this year. And in North Dakota, this is also their first case of HPAI. However, 236,000 birds were culled in North Dakota as a result of the virus in 2022. Now, looking ahead, uh, excuse me, looking backwards to the 2022-2023 total tally for the impact of highly pathogenic avian influenza, that stands at 832 commercial and backyard flocks in the past 18 months have been impacted. That covers seven states and impacts uh, nearly 58.9 million birds. That's turkey, broilers, layers, and ducks. Now, that's not the only challenge or the only place in the animal ag industry where we're seeing supply issues. Europe is another place we have talked quite a bit about the changing regulation on animal agriculture, and it's starting to have an impact. It's having an impact beyond the farm gate, particularly in Denmark. Denmark, of course, is the place uh, where we are seeing some early action on climate goals, similar 
story in Belgium and across the Netherlands, a crackdown on farming involved, or excuse me, farmers involved in animal agriculture as they look at the emissions of, of the animal ag industry. Well, as we've seen those pig supplies across Europe dwindle, both as a result of African swine fever, particularly in the eastern half of Europe, and ongoing supply chain disruptions from the Ukraine-Russia war and the anti-animal ag animus from the government, uh, we're seeing Danish Crown, the Europe's largest pork processor, shutting down another slaughterhouse. Now, this is the second slaughterhouse so far this year. Danish Crown has announced that they are closing. Uh, it's not a huge slaughterhouse this uh, this one they are looking to close it's in sabi denmark they're going to cut 800 jobs but they did say that the company has quote no other option but to close one of their six danish packing facilities because they just don't have supply per larson the vice president of production over at danish crown said quote it's very sad that we have to say goodbye to so many skilled and loyal employees but we are forced to react to such a marked decrease in slaughter now our surplus capacity is costing us more than 44 million us dollars a year and it would be irresponsible in relation to the company and our owners if we didn't take steps which are necessary to adjust that change or excuse me to address that challenge uh the danish crown company says they have been adjusting to low pig supplies since last fall so far they have cut well over a thousand positions through their slaughterhouses and they say that inflation is the other concern forcing farmers out of the business well, meat packers in the United States have been under fire recently. For the past four months, a number of investigations have popped up showing or at least alleging that underage workers have been used in meat packing plants, both as full-time help and as contract laborers, most notably with regard to cleaning services. The folks that come in after a, after a shift and tidy up the processing plant. Uh, there was a case in Europe and South, excuse me, in Iowa and in South Dakota, where a an underage worker was employed in that line of work. And it was not the first, so now it is starting to get traction in Washington, D.C. Yesterday, Democratic Senator Cory Booker introduced legislation that aims to deter child labor specifically at meatpacking plants. What he's looking at doing is going through the records of any citing for underage labor usage by a company, and then he wants to put that company on a list and forbid them from doing business with the USDA. Now, the bill from Booker's office is called the Child Labor Exploitation and Accountability Act. And he does note that it wouldn't just be any violation. The companies uh, would need to commit, quote, serious, repeated, or pervasive labor law violations. And if that could be shown and the guidelines are written into the act, then that that producer, that processor, that packing plant would be unable to apply and to contract with the USDA for up to five years. Now, that doesn't sound like a huge threat. If the, you can't sell to the USDA, who cares, right? They're just there to inspect the food. No, not so, folks. USDA, of course, is the major buyer of meat and other foods for National School Lunch Program. So this is not a meaningless threat. It would definitely have an impact on those meatpacking plants if they were barred from doing business with um if they were barred from doing business with these companies but it's not entirely sure this is going to run all the way across the finish line there in DC. Worth noting that as of right now, all the co-sponsors co to this bill are partisan. They do uh, they do have Democratic co-sponsors right now. The Senate bill is co-sponsored by Senator Peter Welch of Vermont, and there is a companion bill in the House currently being spearheaded by Representative Greg Kasar of Texas. All three of those folks involved are Democrats, and, that who is, and that's who is pushing this forward here on the ground in DC. Continue to watch. This is not the first time child labor at meatpacking has popped up in the news cycle over the past three to four months. I think it's indicative of a conversation that could be getting started as we really ramp up farm bill and food discussions as the summer's political season gets underway. Good news for those of you producers out there who maybe are a little short bought on your anhydrous. For the third week of April 2023, according to retailers tracked by the DTN Fertilizer Index, Anhydrous, for the first time since October 2021, has slid below $1,000 a ton on average. Uh, it's worth noting that six of the eight major fertilizer prices were lowered compared to a month ago. None fell a considerable amount. If uh, you've been listening regularly, last week we spoke with Josh Linville, Vice President of Fertilizer over at Stonex, and the general consensus from the industry, according to Josh, is that supply lines are moderating, demand spikes are subduing, and the industry appears to be getting its feet under it. And these prices 
could continue to slide down, particularly as the energy price continues to slide as well. Now, we do have some other news here. This is a little bit kind of caught me by surprise. Of course, the territory for AOA, we've got listeners all across the country, but most of us are north in the northern half of the country. And one thing we don't see very often along our roadways are armadillos. But that could be changing. There has recently been a study coming north uh, here from the National Wildlife Federation looking at the expansion of armadillo territory. Some of you listeners down in our southern states, Texas, Florida, North Carolina, you may have seen some armadillos running around. That is a standard place. They were in Texas only for over 100 years now. Of course, they are seen throughout the southeastern part of the United States. And it's worth noting that here recently, armadillos have been spotted as far north as Missouri, southern Illinois, Iowa, and even into North Carolina. Uh, they, uh, The na- folks of the National Wildlife Federation say the predictions that are with the current climate conditions, armadillos are going to keep expanding, and they might even see their territory expand all the way into New England. So folks, keep an eye on what's uh, what you're seeing there along the roadsides it's very likely the next several years we could see more of us seeing those scaly armadillos along the road some other piece of news here folks later on this next week we're going to be taking a look at what's developing in the food industry of course we talk about agriculture on aoa we tend to talk about the stuff that grows in and out of the ground but ag needs buyers and we need end users and for a lot of the stuff grown on our farms and ranches across this country those end users are restaurants that is where the vast bulk of the public interacts with us so we've been keeping up with hillary russ she's a reuters journalist covering the food industry and she will be joining us next week to talk about some of the shakeups that we've seen mcdonald's recently laid off a number of workers after telling all of their corporate staff to work from home we've seen burger king shutter several restaurants those two are looking to rebuild after the pandemic disruptions but there's one restaurant that a lot of us have in our rural communities might be seeing some headlines in the coming month because Subway restaurant chain is likely up for sale. Subway is privately held. There are rumors that the owners, who are also the founders, might be looking to sell the entire chain. Now, the numbers around Subway are staggering. If you add up enough $5 foot-long subs, folks, you can do some good business. And it's announced, or I guess it's floated, that Subway might be for sale for a cool $10 billion. So stay tuned. We'll have those conversations later on. And when AOA returns, we're going to talk with Lance Zimmerman, the Senior Vice President of Animal Protein at Bravo Research, about what's moving in this cattle market. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Premium Diesel. Fueled by innovation, powered to perform. Join us every Tuesday for Around the Table, brought to you by CHS, as we discuss how cooperatives support farmers and ranchers and build strong communities. Each week, we'll chat with voices from across the cooperative system. From global market access to local expertise, we'll explore how co-op ownership means you own a world of opportunities. Tune in on Tuesdays or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. As planting season begins across the country, the American Seed Trade Association reminds farmers to follow the basic steps for seed treatment stewardship. Follow directions on seed container labeling. Eliminate weeds in the field prior to planting. Minimize dust by using advanced seed flow lubricants. Be aware of honeybees and hives located near the field. Ensure that any spilled seeds are removed or covered by soil to protect wildlife and the environment. And remove all treated seed left in equipment. For more information, visit seed-treatment-guide.com or contact your seed dealer. You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Richard Risvet with this market update. Markets are mixed, but mostly lower this hour. Portions of the southwestern plains saw their biggest rain event since July over the past 24 hours. The rain was welcomed, although it came too late for many wheat fields in the area that had already failed. Now, if anything, the rains may do more to encourage the planting of spring crops in the days ahead. More rains are falling in the region today. The region dries out, though, again following this event, although the longer-term forecast models continue to hold out hope that we will see more chance for rain later in the spring and into the summer. 
Meanwhile, though, the markets are now waiting for a response from Russia after the United Nations sent a proposal for extending the Ukraine grain initiative to President Putin through diplomatic channels. And if we're going to talk about Russia, we have to talk about China. They have aggressively bought Brazilian soybeans for import last week, committing to about 45 cargoes during the period as active farmer selling continues to push cash bases weaker amid this year's massive harvest in Brazil. Now, the normal weekly purchase pace is 20 to 30 cargoes per week. So last week's activity certainly stood out at a time when crush margins have not been good in China. Now, most of the purchases were a Brazilian origin for loading in May and June with arrival at Chinese ports 45 days later. The cheapest purchased soybeans were booked at 60 cents under Chicago July futures for June shipment landing in China. Cash sources in China suggest that China has booked 10 million metric tons of soybeans for April shipments. That's up 16% year on year, with May shipments expected to be up 32% over last year's pace. Chinese bookings for the first quarter this year were around 26 million metric tons. According to today's edition of China Direct, published by Stonex's Shanghai office, that's up 3 million metric tons, or 14% from last year. Now, this is consistent with expectations that Chinese imports would exceed USDA's expectations this year, as China takes advantage of Brazil's big crops to build its reserves. You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Richard Ristvet. 54. So, basically, it's too late to start saving for retirement, right? Not right. Starting to save, even in your 50s, can really make a difference. Well, right now, saving seems hard to wrap my head around. Plus, with the way this year's been going... <laughs> hey, listen, it's okay. You still got this. Just go to aceyourretirement.org. It's an online tool from AARP that can help you get your retirement savings on track no matter your age. It's free and only takes about three minutes. I like three minutes. Yeah. At aceyourretirement.org, you'll chat with Avo, the friendly digital retirement coach. Just answer a few questions and you'll get a personalized plan and tips to help boost your retirement savings. Tips that are easy to understand and tailored to your lifestyle. I like that too. Plus, it's sponsored by AARP, so you know they got your back. Just head to aceyourretirement.org and make your plan to start saving for retirement. Thanks. That's aceyourretirement.org. A message from AARP and the Ad Council. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oil. Oil that runs smart. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. AOA March is on today, and our focus, you got it. It's turning back to the cattle industry. We've been talking about that a lot here over the past two months because, folks, we are in record-setting territory. At least we were last week. Will that record-setting pace continue? Well, joining us now to discuss it is Lance Zimmerman. He serves as a senior vice president. He's the senior animal protein analyst at Rabo Research, and his focus is the beef and cattle markets. We really appreciate him taking the time to join us today. Lance, thanks for uh, for talking with us. Good morning. Happy to be here, Mike. Well, let's start with where the cash market sits today, Lance. Last week, we saw really the top kind of blow off last two weeks as that cash trade heated up. Here, we're halfway through this week. Has any cash trade developed in the fat cattle market so far? No, it's been really quiet to start the early week activity. I think both packers and cattle feeders alike, they're zeroed in on what's this futures market trend doing. Obviously, uh, the last couple days here, we've we've been able to to kind of hold things together after putting in the highs last week and then breaking down from them. And so everybody's going to be trying to to leverage that futures market position uh, in their. Lance, you know, taking a look at the futures market right now, we've got a carry. Once we get out past the August contract, live cattle, we're 162 August, 167 October, 171 December, but we got to get through summer. A lot of folks are anticipating a price break here from these highs. Where do you think we go over the next six weeks in the futures? Oh, hey, folks, we might have uh, might have lost Lance there. Lance, if you can, can you can you hear me? Well, folks, I apologize. I do not know what is going on here. We're gonna keep we're gonna keep talking and we're gonna try to make this go forward. I apologize. I hope you all can hear me and we'll keep working. Let's try to get Lance back on. Folks, bear with us just a second. All right, we are 
trying to get Lance reconnected. We've got folks working in the studio right now trying to figure out what is going on. In the meantime, while we try to bring Lance back, I want to take a look here at what's going on in the feeder cattle market. We are seeing a bit of a step down today. And let's see. Let's see, Lance, did we get you back in there? Can you hear me now? Huh. All right. Well, shoot, we'll we'll try to get Lance reconnected and we'll go in from there and we'll uh, try to get it reconnected. Folks, in the meantime, we've got another story here coming out of South America. And uh, this is Argentina. We talked about it very briefly here with Darren Newsom earlier in the program. This is the Argentine peso. They have seen incredible inflationary pressure down there in Argentina. It has been brewing for quite some time. And the peso in Argentina today, one peso is worth 400, excuse me, it takes 495 pesos to equal a dollar as of today in the black market down in Argentina. Now, what that means is that when these folks are selling their commodities into the global commodity market out of Argentina, and even though Argentina goosed up their soy dollar program, basically they're giving farmers more money in a currency conversion than they would get if they were selling into the open market, but it's still about half of what those farmers could get for dollars on the black market. And this plunge in the value of the Argentine peso is accelerating. In fact, on Tuesday, the Argentinian peso saw its steepest daily drop since November of 1920. Officially in Argentina, and nobody really uses the official number. The only folks who use the official number are those farmers who are really being paid by that official number when they're selling their soybeans. And But that official uh, peso number has fallen 20% so far this year. The gap between the black and official black market and official rates is 122%. That is one of the widest spreads in currency between black market and posted rates in the world. Huge issue for those growers down there in Argentina. And folks, I apologize. It does appear as though we have lost, lost Lance Zimmerman, but I've got good news. Terry Viswanath joins us now. She is the energy economist over at CoBank, and uh, she joins us now. Terry, thank you so much for jumping on. Hey, my pleasure. Well, let's talk a little bit about the uh, natural gas markets. That is your focus, and it is an industry that has been very volatile recently. Terry, as I understand here in the last couple of weeks, we've seen a pretty big drop in natural gas prices. And I guess my question to you to get started is, is this the start of something new or is the turnaround coming? Right, Mike. I mean, it's a very different market, right, than what we faced uh, going into the winter and the concerns. So we are down, uh, you know, we're down in the $2. You know, we've got a $2 handle on natural gas, and and that alone is is worthy of, of a, a conversation. But, you know, your question as to do we remain at these low levels, and my sense is probably not. Um, we had the lightest withdrawal from storage for our home heating requirements this winter, and, you know, we have, um, we're certainly giving producers a signal that they need to slow down on their ramp of, of production. But longer term, we've got a very different market that's opening up. And a lot of the changes that occurred last year are, are kind of worth taking note of. They are, Terry. And of course, you have recently published a report titled, Is This the Beginning of the End for Cheap Shale Gas? And in that report, you've got a quote. I'd like to, to pick your brain on it a little bit. You note that, quote, government action shaping is shaping markets to an unprecedented degree. And last year, short-term fixes have added significant distortions. Could you tell us a little bit about what some of those actions are that are shaping these markets? Absolutely. So, you know, I think last year, the... If we think about it, the war that's occurring in Europe um, was very disruptive, mostly from a natural gas perspective. So Russia is a very large uh, producer for Europe um, and and different parts of the world, China included. And um, you know the the embargo that occurred uh, and the slowdown in in the piped gas coming from from Russia had a profound effect. So, you know, part of it is that you saw a lot of subsidies in order to be able to afford the energy bill last year, a number of European countries had to provide support for their citizens to make sure their energy was affordable. Um, so even at the height of, you know, we saw upward of $10, um, you know, we, we traded up to $10 in the futures contract. And uh, we saw some pretty wild swings here. Well, Europe was facing 10 times that amount. 
So those subsidies made it cheaper, made consumers consume more gas. But in the long run, um, you know, these distortions, that was a short-term policy, the longer-term policy, which is really to make sure that we uh, address climate change, the U.S. Inflation Reduction Act. Um, it means we're going to be transitioning off of fossil fuels and onto, you know, onto renewables. The challenge is, is who's going to invest in those fossil fuels in the meantime, right? Um, Europe has also passed a very similar package, uh, uh, climate package. And so we see an aggressive policy shift toward renewables. But in the interim, who is going to fund the fossil bridge until the moment we are, you know, we're able to, um, to be able to run our economy off of lower carbon energy resources? That's a great point, because at the end of the day today, we still need these fossil fuel sources to keep the economy running. And Terry, you said something fascinating there, which is the price differential between European natural gas last year and American natural gas. At some points, it was 10x. They were 10x more expensive than we were. I've got to imagine that has prompted a lot of Europeans to look at securing long-term supplies of American LNG. From an export perspective, is that something you see coming up in, in a big way here in the short term? Oh, absolutely. So right now, the U.S. is the largest in terms of installed capacity. You know, we all already have the largest armada, if you will, of, of LNG, um, but we're going to increase that. So uh, so right now, um, in terms of U.S. domestic production, about a quarter of it is actually used for pipe or LNG export. Uh, looking ahead, because of the contracts that were minted last year, you know, upwards to a third. So the largest consuming sector for U.S. produced natural gas actually will be exports. Um, and so by 2030, it will be the largest segment of demand, um, followed by the, you know, electric power industry, uh, which is the industry I follow. So, you know, the power industry right now is the largest consumer of domestic gas. But by 2030, that's going to change. Uh, the crown is going to, you know, turn over to to exports. So what we see occurring in terms of the contracts you mentioned for last year are setting the stage for a very different dynamic for the U.S. market, one that is more tied to global price. It will be more tied to global price, but you mentioned that by 2030, we'll see that export share of the pie be the largest versus energy production. But Terry, from an energy production standpoint, of course, that's your wheelhouse. Are we still going to be using copious amounts of natural gas when we get to 2030? You know, ab absolutely. So, you know, the, the fact is, is that even with the transition, you know, it's taken 100 years to build up our energy supply stack as we know it today. Um, and so... To be able to see that transition, oil is the number one, you know, if we think about all the oil products, it's the, the number one energy resource, but it takes a while. So you think about, you know, how often do you switch out your, your car? And so the average car, we're driving our cars longer these days, it used to be 10 years, it's about 12 years. Um, and then you think about the other assets that we invest in, uh, power plants. If, if our car has a, you know, call it a upward to a 15-year life, a power plant is about a 30-year life, it takes a while to transition the entire resource, right? So we're still going to have a, a longer-term horizon where you have that linkage. The question is, who's going to be incentivized to produce, you know, those those uh, hydrocarbons? Um, and is it is it enough to meet both domestic and international demand? It is. And what are those prices going to do in the meantime, folks? You can learn more by reading Terry's report. It's titled, Is This the Beginning of the End for Cheap Shale Gas? We've been talking with Terry Fiswana, the lead economist for Power, Energy and Water at CoBank. And Terry, thanks for joining us today. Mike, thanks so much. Folks, stay with us when AOA returns. John Sandbach and head of the NSA National Sunflower Association will join us here for a discussion of that industry. Stay with us for more AOA. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Premium Diesel. Fueled by innovation, powered to perform. You are not your diagnosis. A medical chart is not your identity. And vision loss does not define you. Your drive shows who you are. And you are not alone. Because we are driven too. To be a beacon of strength a champion of courage, an advocate for hope. You are not alone. 
because we are stronger together. We drive the research for the cures we are finding. We're fighting macular degeneration, retinitis pigmentosa, Usher syndrome, and the entire spectrum of blinding retinal diseases. We fund. We fight. We win. We, 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 we are, are the, the foundation, foundation fighting, fighting blindness. blindness. Together, we are fighting blindness. Join the fight at fightingblindness.org. I'll take dig a little, learn a lot for 30 bushels. Soft and crumbly. Tom. How does healthy soil feel to the touch? Correct. Dig a little for 40 bushels. Sweet and earthy. Tom. What does healthy soil smell like? Yes, go again. Dig a little for 50 bushels. Dark, porous, and alive. Tom. What does healthy soil look like? You win. Understanding the basics and benefits of healthy soil can make your farm a winner, too, through lower input costs, better yields, and drought protection, which can lead to a healthier bottom line for your business. Contact your local Natural Resources Conservation Service office today to find out how you can unlock the secrets in your soil. This message brought to you by USDA's Natural Resources Conservation Service and this radio station. Welcome to the 2023 Corn Sprint. Please be silent as the runners take their marks. And looks like one plant has already pulled into an early lead because it's been enhanced with Biopath, a biological fertilizer complement from the Mosaic Company. Wait, wait, and the early favorite has crossed the finish line. Get the most out of your fertilizer investment. Don't forget to add Biopath to your early season application. Talk to your retailer about Mosaic Biologicals today or visit cornsprint.com. Did you know that pork is the world's most consumed meat? Pork comprises over one-third of all meat consumed. Pigs were domesticated over 9,000 years ago in 7,000 BC, and there are more than 180 species of pigs. Why pork? Well, it's not just because everybody loves bacon. Historically speaking, pork is a very easy meat to preserve via smoking, curing, or salting. Not only could it keep well before refrigeration, but it also tastes great under various preservation tactics and adaptable to a variety of flavors, spices, and dishes across different cultures and regions. There are twice as many pigs as there are people in Denmark. Did you also know that China is the world's lead pork producer? In 2020, they produced an impressive 41.13 million metric tons of the meat, which equates to almost 91 billion pounds. So the next time you dive into that plate of bacon, know that pork is the world's most consumed meat. These farm facts brought to you by the American Ag Network. Is your bathroom looking old and worn out? Want to update it, but you don't know where to start? Then let BCI Bath & Shower show you how to turn that old bath into an aisle of beauty and functionality. Our residential bathroom solutions provide the best value on the market, and our customer service is second to none. Our cost-effective BCI Bath & Shower family of products has what you need. Remodeling our bathroom was a big decision for us. They didn't make a mess out of our house at all. And at the end of the day, we had a beautiful new bathroom. And it was a great experience the whole way through. We have the best monthly payment programs in the industry, with payments as low as $68 per month, or no interest, no payments for 18 months. For a limited time, be one of the first 100 callers who schedule a free in-home consultation and receive $500 off. Call 800-721-9985 for a free no-obligation price quote. That's 800-721-9985. Factory trained and certified installers made in the USA and discounts for seniors and military. BCI Bath & Shower, the leader in affordable bathroom products. That's 800-721-9985. As planting season begins across the country, the American Seed Trade Association reminds farmers to follow the basic steps for seed treatment stewardship. Follow directions on seed container labeling. Eliminate weeds in the field prior to planting. Minimize dust by using advanced seed flow lubricants. Be aware of honeybees and hives located near the field. Ensure that any spilled seeds are removed or covered by soil to protect wildlife and the environment. And remove all treated seed left in equipment. For more information, visit seed-treatment-guide.com or contact your seed dealer. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Premium Diesel. Fueled by innovation, powered to perform. Information farmers and ranchers need to know. AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. 
Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to AOA. Thanks for making us a part of your day. You know, we've been talking a lot about markets and commodities today, and we're going to continue that focus here in segment four. We're going to talk with John Sandbach, and he serves as the executive director of the National Sunflower Association, keeps us up to speed on all things with that sunflower. John, thanks for joining us here today. Well, thank you for having me on your program. You know, I'd like to talk first, John, and the reason I wanted to get you on today is we're hearing a lot of discussion out of the Black Sea about Russia and Ukraine perhaps not continuing their Black Sea export corridor. And of course, the markets have been watching that from a wheat perspective, as that area is a huge wheat exporter, but that area is also huge for sunflowers. I'm curious as to how that might impact the American sunflower grower if Russia follows through. Well, you know, they are the two giants in the export business for sunflower oil and meal and seed. And, you know, when, when you look at their numbers in, in a normal year, they account for, you know, 70% of all the, the trade in the world. And so anything that slows that down is going to open up some opportunities, you know, for U.S. sunflower oil exports and seed. And, you know, we saw that last year when the war first took off. I mean, our, our export numbers just jumped right through the ceiling. Uh, prices went to all-time records. And um, it just really opened up a lot of opportunity that our, our U.S. exporters were able to take advantage of. That's always fantastic to see U.S. growers put that premium in their pocket, John. But of course, we're a year into this war. What have you seen for sunflower prices here recently as we prepare for the 23 season? Well, you know, right now our new crop values are not as high as they were last year. But, you know, they're, they're still above historical averages. I mean, you know, when you look at, you know, our cash price right now in factoring in the oil premium that sunflower pays, on, on the oil above 40%. You know, we're in that 26 to $28 range, which, you know, is, is, been, is above the five-year average, which would have been about $20. So, you know, we're still above that level. We don't, we're not at, at the astronomical levels we were at last year, you know, but, you know, we still are above the historical average and very competitive. Well, that's certainly good to hear, John. But of course, growers are gearing up for this year's planting season. Acreage discussions are everywhere, it seems. What are you hearing from the sunflower industry? Did those record prices last year, are they going to pull more acreage into the industry this year? Well, you know, in the, the March intentions report, uh, you know, our acreage was expected to be down slightly. You know, we, we have a little bit of a larger carryover this year of seed uh, than we normally do. But, you know, it's getting used up right now. And I don't, I don't foresee us carrying over a lot and that's why you know our prices are probably still pretty competitive you know they're looking to get acres you know our industry was hoping to get about a 10 to 15 percent bump in acres from last year's level and obviously with being at, at a lower level they anticipated sunflower acres being down 20 percent you know we, we didn't hit that but you know a lot of things can change and we obviously have a, a later spring here in the northern part of the united states and sunflower is one of the last crops that can be planted and still do really well i mean last year we, we had a late spring uh, sunflower yields were, we had a record yield for confections and the second highest ever yield for oil type sunflowers. So, you know, the season can still turn out really well for sunflower. Well, that's very interesting. So as you wake up and look out at all the snow across the ground in the Dakotas, you're not necessarily too worried that yields are going to suffer this year. No, no, we're, we're at a point, yeah, where, you know, we're, we're, we're not in, you know, worrying about that planting window. Some of the earlier, earlier planted crops, you know, like corn and your wheat, canola, different things like that. I mean, that there's going to be some concern. You're going to have to just, you know, watch, you know, what, what your planting window a little bit closer. But for us, you know, if we start about mid-May, move into June, we can plant sunflowers into, in the end of June and, and still have a harvestable crop in, in October, November. All right. Lots could change there with that crop as we get deeper into summer. John, I'd like to think about the industry in a little bigger picture. If we could last year after Russia invaded Ukraine and we talked on the show for the first time, you mentioned that the export demand might spike, but the industry was still going to be planning on eventually getting those supplies back out of the Black Sea. Now that this war has moved on for a year, are we seeing international sunflower demand find find permanent suppliers here in the U.S.? You know, our, our expansion really had took place in, in Canada, especially. Uh, we, we were able to secure, it's our number one market already, but I, I think what it did is it, it kind of woke up the importers a little bit that you, you want to make sure you're securing your product from a more stable area. And so that we did increase demand there also into Mexico and Japan. Um, you know, there are markets that, that are a little bit more conscious about what, you know, with security issues and just making sure product deliveries are on time. And, you know, last year, our experts really shined in being able to deliver product and, you know, show that we have that stability in the U.S. to supply these markets. 
It is really, really neat to see, John. And as you mentioned, that hoped for 10 to 15 bump in acreage this year. Do we have enough domestic processing capacity to support that kind of a jump in soy and sunflower production? Oh, we definitely do. Yes, definitely do. That's not an issue. Uh, I've been talking to the seed companies. There's still seed available you know, to be planted this year. You may not be the exact varieties that everybody wants, uh, but there are still some very good varieties that are out there, and, and seed's not going to be a supply issue for us. You know, it's just one of the things that the industry just kind of planned on this to expand acres, and um, it just we're, we're hopeful that, that we're going to get them this spring. We're hopeful indeed. John, from a policy perspective, before we let you go, are there any concerns you're hearing from sunflower growers that they want you to, to repeat in Washington, D.C.? Well, you know, everybody's concerned about the farm bill right now. It, it seems as if the, the debt limit is just taking all the oxygen out of the room right now, and the farm bill is just, it's kind of getting pushed back. And I'm, I'm a little bit concerned that we're, we're going to have a farm bill in place, you know, this year, but you know, there's still hope that we can get that done. Uh, but, you know, I, I think right now the, the main thing that we're hearing from growers is to increase reference prices, which we are supporting, and then also to make sure that we have a very strong crop insurance program. That, that's so key for all of us here. It absolutely is. It's true for sunflowers. It's true for every commodity program. Input costs have gone up. We've got to make sure these programs are modern and work for today's growers. John, if we've got listeners out there who are curious about sunflower, maybe incorporating it into their operation, where should they go for more information? Well, the best source in the, in the whole world is at www.sunflowernsa.com. It's all the information that you're going to need about growing sunflower, what the markets are doing, and, and where you can find supplies. Fantastic, folks. Check that out. Sunflowernsa.com. We've been talking with John Sandbach, and he serves as the executive director for the NSA. And John, thanks for joining us. Well, thank you for having me on your program today. And folks, tune in tomorrow. We're going to hear from Chandler Gould, head of the National Association of Wheat Growers, about what their producers are looking for as that focus stays on Washington, D.C. Thanks for listening and have a great day, everybody. We'll see you tomorrow for more. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oil. Oil that runs smart. Hi, I'm news correspondent Bob Woodruff. In 2006, a roadside bomb struck the armored vehicle I was riding in while reporting from Iraq. I sustained a life-threatening traumatic brain injury. The military term, got your six, means I have your back. And that day, our service members had mine. During my recovery, I learned firsthand the challenges facing our service members who return home with injuries. While serving, their fellow service members always had their six. Now that they're home, it is our turn. We started the Bob Woodruff Foundation to make sure that the camaraderie and support they relied on in the military carries on, and we need you. Please join us as part of the Got Your Six initiative and help us be there for impacted veteran service members and their families. They've had our backs. It's time we have theirs. Learn more at gotyour6.org. That's gotyour6.org. Using the number six. As an organ donor, your story doesn't have to end. A good in you can live on. In fact, you could save up to eight lives with your gifts. Your heart could keep beating. Your kidneys could keep filtering and your intestines could keep on digesting for others. And that's not all. You can improve the lives of 50 more people as an eye and tissue donor, restoring sight and health. And you're not just helping out the person receiving the transplant. You're touching whole families with your life-saving gift. Register in minutes. Just go to organdonor.gov. You'll be happy you did. And just maybe, someone else will be happy too. Sign up today. Go to organdonor.gov. It saves lives. U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Health Resources and Services Administration.